This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. It is 10 minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock. Thank you, Rishokeshi Malachi, for the news update. Uh, and let's talk about something that's very much in the news, the impeachment of two judges in South Africa. I think the most uh, controversial or the, or, or the one that's really elicited a lot of conversation is that of um, Judge John Sope, quite a senior jurist. My understanding he was the judge president uh, in um, the Western Cape um, and obviously a lot of allegations about his sort of political allegiances starting to taint um, his ability to apply the law independently. Um, be that as it may, uh, Parliament on Wednesday uh, resolved to impeach him with a significant vote for that matter. And then the second case involves Judge Ngola Motata um, and really a long overdue matter concerning his, it, it appears, 20 years after uh, complaints were laid against him as well. What does it take to impeach a judge? Can an impeachment be revoked? It is a huge precedent to use the legal term. It's the first time in the history of democratic South Africa. So in 30 years that something like this has happened. Um, and how did things come to a head um, when judges are accused of misconduct? What are the steps that are taken before the parliament can literally impeach a judge, basically taking them off the bench, stripping them of the title and of their uh, privileges by virtue of remuneration as well? We're joined by Alison Tilly, coordinator at Judges Matter. Good morning, Alison. Good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. And thank you so much for coming through. So let's just talk about impeachment 101. Under which conditions can a judge be impeached? What are the causes justifiably? Well, the Constitution um, really provides three. So the first one is incapacity. So illness is grossly incompetent. So that's number two. And then number three is guilty of gross misconduct. So you've got to find one of those three. Okay, so illness, but yeah. but you have to be seriously ill to the point where you're incontinent, uh, incompetence, you just can't do the job, and then gross misconduct. Yeah, I, it, it's an interesting one, this question of incapacity, mm. because mostly what actually happens is Judges go to their, their judge president or the you know the most senior person and and will say look I, I can't work anymore because of this mm, illness and mm, and they will mm. actually deal with it that way. It, this is intended for judges who, although they are ill, are, are sort of insisting on remaining on the bench even though they're right. not capable of doing the work. And those are the people that you have to remove by this kind of process. Okay. Um... Okay, so so there is, you know, so there are uh, extenuating circumstances. It's not just blanket. Uh, you are, you, let me not, let me not say you are allowed to, but there is provision for a judge to be ill because that's nature. That's that's just life, uh, and you won't be stripped of the title and the privilege 
of being a judge just because you are sick or you've got cancer, whatever the case may be. But it's when mm-hmm. you are really, really ill, can't perform your task, but you still insist on wearing a robe and showing up and you're just not in a position to be able to do the job. Then they have to force you off the bench because you are insisting. Exactly. Okay. Um, incompetence. I mean, how do you get to the point of being a senior judge and you're incompetent? How do they work that out? Well, I think the the thing is, um, we, we don't actually see that <laughs> as as being one of the reasons for removal. Um, it, it, it's not come up. I mean, I would imagine that the the obvious sort of risk is where you've appointed somebody as a judge for the first time. <sighs> Um, so they, they're not judges who've been on the bench and you've been able to see how they do their work and they, they fine. Um, but you've gone and appointed somebody who just can't do the job. Uh, and, and under those circumstances, you can also uh, go through this process for removal. Okay. And then the third one, and I think this is really where uh, this particular case uh, finds itself gross misconduct. So in a country where the judiciary is required to be independent, Mm. how is gross misconduct defined loosely? Well, there's a a code of conduct. And if you breach the code of conduct, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a finding of gross misconduct. Mm -mm. So if you've done something for which you can apologize or you've done something and you know, you are sanctioned in some other way. That that can also happen. But this is where you're guilty of gross misconduct. And that's what what we've seen so far are things like um well you well exactly with Judge Matata and Judge Shope. Mm-hmm. And those those actions rose to the level of, of gross misconduct. Okay. So by the time Parliament sits in on an impeachment vote. How many processes, appeals, disciplinary hearings, uh, interventions have there been? You know, I, I couldn't count them. Um, it's more than 10. Um, so if you if you look at, at Judge Shorter, there was a an original process where uh, the JSC did not actually sanction him. And then that matter went back to court and then the process started up again. And at every step, um, Judge Shorter has tested the law as it relates to him. And of course, he's, he's entitled to do that. Mm. Judges have rights, you know, just like anybody else. Yeah. Um, but, but he has certainly challenged uh, the law and, and the practice at every point. And that's part of the reason that it's taken so long. Not it's not entirely his fault because yeah. the, the legislation actually changed halfway through, okay. or a third of the way through. And, and obviously that then brought a whole lot of different factors into play. And it was the first one, you know. So that also means that, you know, you're just finding your way. Yeah. Now that we've gone through all of that, it's probably going to be going a lot quicker. Okay, so let's just remember sort of the basis of what transpired Alison Tilly. So it was in 2008 at the Constitutional Court a bench of 11 judges presiding over a matter, a case related to the former president Jacob Zuma. Mm -hmm. 
And the matter had come before the highest court in the land, the Constitutional Court. And in the Constitutional Court, when judgments are made, they are made by a panel of the bench. Now, in this particular instance, because it involved a head of state, we are told uh, that two judges of that 11-member bench were approached privately uh, by Justice Chope to say, could they support Mr. Zuma in the decision and the judgment that they make in this corruption case? Those two judges who allegedly were approached sounded the alarm and so began this matter until we get to where we are today. So people will say, you know, where is the evidence of him influencing those two judges. There needs to be something tangible. All that we know is Mr. Zuma had said, you know, I will have to leave it now in the hands of the judges. But that doesn't, that cannot be inferred to mean I'm going to leave it in the hands of those judges who would favor me and do me, uh, you know, and do me some favors. Uh, but this is how it's being misconstrued. So there's this sense that there isn't su- substantial evidence to show that he tried to influence the two justices in 2008. Uh, he's constantly denied that accusation. And there's nothing to show that Mr. Zuma had sought uh, to curry favor with Mr. Sope. But we're talking about an impeachment today. Are we being oversimplistic here? I, I, I think so a bit. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because there was evidence and the evidence was given by two constitutional court judges. Mm. So judges in Cabinda and, and, and Jafta. Mm. And and they gave evidence. And in the end, um, Judge Schopper didn't say that he had never spoken to them or he hadn't raised the issue. What he said was, I, I was just chatting. We were just having a cup of coffee and, you know, talking things over. And in any event, the language that I used can be interpreted differently. Um, it, it, it wasn't an attempt to persuade them. So, there's no dispute about the fact that it happened. What is disputed is really what his intention was. And he says it was just, you know, having a cup of coffee. And they say, no, it was an attempt to influence us. And they gave evidence to that effect. And the, the ultimate decision of the, of the tribunal and the, and the JSC was that, yes, that was in fact what happened. And that's why he was impeached. Okay, so uh, private conversations that happened between uh, Judge Lope and two other judges in the Zuma Tint corruption case, that French uh, company, um, in the arms deal. Uh, And uh, he says, yes, we did talk, but my intention is misconstrued. The two judges on the other end say how we heard it is that you were trying to influence the just the, the the judgment and subsequently there's been back and forth over this matter. But we're not talking video recordings, uh, audio recordings, signed statements. We're talking interpretations of conversations. Some people say, honestly, um, an impeachment then is way uh, too drastic an action. Mm-hmm. If we're talking hearsay, I, well, it's it's not hearsay because yeah. we have the judges giving evidence firsthand of what was said, yeah. and and hearsay is when you when you do think that you time. weren't there, yeah, okay. 
Um, so, yeah, if you weren't there. Um, I think the the idea that there could be, in this situation, any other kind of evidence, and the only evidence of that kind that I'm aware of mm. is in the Western Cape when uh, Deputy Judge President Goliath recorded uh, a conversation that she had with Judge Schlopper. Yeah. And then subsequently when he denied that he had called her the things that she said he did, mm. uh, she then produced the audio recording of him using, you know, really, really Offensive horrible language. language yeah, yeah, really horrible language. Um, and, and in that, although that is now evidence in that in a separate case yeah. process, yeah. Um, I think a lot of judges were like, you know, we don't do that. Yeah. It's it's like one of the rules. You don't you don't record each other when we're in chambers. It's it's sort of it it doesn't rise to the level of misconduct, but it's like yeah. it would be frowned on. And I think that the other thing, and I, it's difficult for people to sort of, mm. I don't know that it's ever really properly explained, but if you are a judge and you're sitting in a matter, it's really important as that judge that you are independent. Mm. And part of that independence is that you don't go around talking to other judges about, about the case yeah. and saying, you know, what do you think? Tell me what to do. Do you think it's this mm. answer mm. or that answer? Mm. Mm. And and that's really one of the important rules. And so that's why everybody complained so much. I, this is a sort of side issue, but complained about Judge Yaku helping the Constitutional Court by writing memos. Yes. On cases, yes. and and that's been an outcry exactly for that reason. Okay, but you shouldn't be getting a a, mem- a memo with a file on your desk. Okay, that's just like wrong. Okay, so let's move on here because we've got the testimony of two judges in this particular case, and there's even a separate issue altogether as well, as you remind us of uh, Judge Goliath as well in a conversation with Justice Hoppe. So there are just many infractions, and it it just feels like um, his parameters aren't clearly defined in terms of what independence looks like, decorum is like, respect for fellow jurists is like as well, and those are those sort of form the body of what we're dealing with here. With Justice uh, Nkola Montata, um, I shouldn't laugh, but, you know, so here is a judge who went on a bender, uh, crashed into somebody's home, uh, and uh, instead of saying, sorry, I am drunk, uh, just completely lost it, we are told, in terms of uh, what the owner of the property mm. says mm. and was racially slurred and abused, etc., etc. So there's quite a few things here. Unbecoming behavior, a drunken driving, uh, by a person who's supposed to be upholding the law, but is breaking the law, driving whilst under the influence, and then all manner of things that transpired thereafter. But explain to us what happened here in terms of why he was impeached. Mm. And, and oddly enough, it's, it's not because he, he was drunk and drove into a wall, which you would think was the main issue. But but actually it turned out to be two other things. And the, the one of them is that he... Uh, and I, I have to use the word lied. Yeah. Uh, he, he he told his advocate to represent him in court, saying that he was not drunk. Mm. And and of course that I mean I think we've all seen the pictures, the video. Yeah. You know I think. And but the thing is that that's that's a very bad thing to do. 
if you if you're a judge if you're anybody you you don't tell your advocate to lie in court that's it's a yeah. it's for lawyers it's considered a, a very bad thing um and then the other thing was the was the racist and, and sexist mm-hmm. things well it was the racist issues that were mm-hmm. focused on um and that really became the issue around which it turned and the jsc didn't actually want to have him impeached, they wanted to pay a fine. Mm. But the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, then turned around and said, "No, this is clearly gross misconduct. Okay. You can't, you can't fix this sort of fine. Okay. You have to actually take it all away." And so, I think here we're seeing a situation where if you are a judge, um, arbitrating issues of law in the country, you have to be above reproach. You can't be a person who's breaking the very same laws that you are trying to enforce um, in the country. You have to be above that. And so this is an issue of integrity. Now, let's go to what transpired in Parliament on Wednesday. It was almost, you know, a major- in fact, it was a majority vote in both cases. A few absten- abstentions in the second one. But almost, you know, everyone on the on the first uh, case, John Lope, just agreed that he should be impeached. So mm. can an impeachment be revoked? Can there be remedial action, an apology or new evidence shows up and then you repeal this? No, um, it's it's not possible to do that. Uh, this is the end of the road. Um, the vote happened. It was a two-thirds majority. It was a two-thirds majority in both cases. And I know some people have said, well, there were members of parliament missing. That abstained and whatever, yeah. But, but the thing is that that doesn't change the fact that there was a two-thirds majority in favour. It just meant that there would be more people against. Hmm. Um, and, and that wouldn't have changed the, the outcome of the vote. And once the vote is taken, that's the end of it. In order to come back as a judge, you would have to go through the whole appointment process again from the beginning, and there's no way that either judge would be found fit and proper, which is one of the requirements okay. when you become a judge. So, yeah, this is, this is you it. know, a, a, yeah, a, a tragic end in some ways. Um, I mean, Judge Shope, you know, started his career on the bench with such acclaim. You know, he was a highly regarded academic mm. A, a very strong jurist. It was really expected that he would go far. So it's it it is a sad day, mm. um, but at the same time, we must hold people accountable, mm-hmm. yeah. even if it's really really difficult. Right. Um, and I think that's what Parliament did. Right. And when you say you know it was a two thirds majority, I think it's important what you are telling us is that even if everybody had shown up. Two-thirds of those who participated in this impeachment vote believed that there was evidence of gross misconduct and an impeachment was valid. So even if you had a full house, there were never going to be enough numbers to sway this vote because more than 63% of the house believed that this was the right thing to do. So it is what it is. And the conversation that we've just had tracking the 15-year process is saying This was the last resort. By the time Parliament got to this point, they've considered every other possibility and Mm. they still came to this conclusion that this is where they need to come. It's taken 
15 years, not five days to get to an impeachment. Mm. So everything mm. has been considered about the merits of these cases. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the thing is that it should be hard. It should be hard to remove a judge. Judges need to be independent. They need to act without fear or favor. Mm. So it's, it shouldn't be easy. And it wasn't easy. And it took a long time. And, you know, in, in, in some ways that just shows the, the strength of the system mm. um, that it did take a long time. But I think, yes, we're here now. And, and it's over. It's, that's it. That's okay. the end of the line. So what does this mean for, um, the, uh, for, for the fraternity of law as a whole? Um, now that we've crossed this bridge, it's a Rubicon moment, uh, to use a historical term. It's never yeah. happened before. It's now happened. Uh, we're over this particular uh, moment. Is it going to make it easier in future to discuss an impeachment? Or is it really going to change the culture within the judiciary now that people know that it's possible? I think that's exactly right. I think that people are now, um, they've seen how it goes. They've seen it tested. I mean, both judges tested every possible argument uh, along the way. So we've now got a lot of judgments which, which tell us exactly how this works. And the current list of people who are facing, uh, you know, who are, who are now part of tribunals, mm. uh, I think, I think there's a lot more clarity on how that goes. It's still, I have to say, the legislation uh, still allows for too many sort of repeats. We, we, we yeah. found it during the process that we were repeating parts of it and, and also just that there weren't enough people. So there's, a, there's a conduct committee that yeah. actually sits and it has a special group of judges, but okay. there are only six of them. Okay. And it's like, and they're working judges, you yeah. know, so we need more. But but that's now what we've learned through, through this process. Okay. And Alison, we've run out of time. I wonder if you can give us a brief answer. Somebody called in and said, this is also a test on what the what jurisprudence needs to look like post-apartheid versus pre-apartheid, uh, uh, post-revolution versus imperial well-established normative values of a legal system. I think I think it's quite a complex sort of issue that was raised by a listener. Mm-hmm. But what he's basically saying is you've got judges of a revolutionary, post-revolutionary era who come from a particular tradition, even if it's all lodged in jurisprudence, as we understand it, but they mm-hmm. come from a particular tradition of how the law should apply in a free, democratic country, given where, where we're from. And then you have people who are still um, operating within a philosophy and ideology of an entrenched of values. And that's really what's at stake here. Do you believe that's true? Um, no, I don't. And I, I think I would say one or two things that why I think that. The, if we look at the judges, the, all of our judges now have been appointed since 1994. So there are no judges left over from the previous regime. This is a democratically elected parliament. Um, and it's, it's operating in terms of a constitution that I, you know, I believe that mm. at the time was the subject of, of consultation mm. and discussion. So I, I understand that there is certainly a discussion about 
what about things like indigenous law? And I, mm. I think that that's a very interesting discussion. But if we look at this process now, yeah. um, you know, it's it's people who have been elected. They have been elected okay. to parliament. They have been appointed as judges okay. by people who were elected. So, you know, I think I think we have to understand that that is the context for this particular process. Oh, it's been enlightening. Alison Tilly, coordinator of Judges Matters. For anybody who says, can an impeachment be overturned? No. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.